0: Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to go through this verse by verse. Let's begin with verse 1. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. When it says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, that is a reference to reverence. Uh, That's what that phrase, keep thy foot, means. We should. Have reverence for the house of God. Uh, we should have a lot of reverence uh, for the house of God. Uh, uh, there is a place, there is a building in your life that is called the house of God. And uh, we're taught about that over in the book of 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. That we ought to behave ourselves, it says, in the house of God, uh, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the building that you attend and fellowship with uh, your brothers and sisters in the Lord is called the house of God. Of course, your body is the temple of God. So God actually lives inside of you. Uh, That's where God lives. He indwells every single believer in Jesus Christ. But there's also a place called the house of God, even in the New Testament. That teaching is carried on. Uh, where we meet that belongs to the Lord. This one happens to be at 86, 88 South Main Street in Eden. This is the house of the Lord. And when it says, keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God, it, it means to have re- reverence, to be very, very respectful as you approach the house of the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you to promote respect in your house, uh, moms and dads, uh, to your children that they don't, run around or turn the church into a zoo or a gymnasium or something like that. I know that some of you try. Every generation has to try uh, because it's just the nature of children to go from crawling to running. Uh, they learn to walk later when they're adults, but uh, it's just how it is. And you got to teach them that they can't be running and fooling around or desecrating the house of the Lord. we got to respect this as as not only belonging to God, but Belonging to you, you're the congregation. This is your uh, place where you can come and uh, praise the Lord. It's the house of God. We ought to have reverence for it. I don't know if you, uh, I don't think we have a lot of problems with this, especially on Sundays. I want to encourage you to dress up, uh, dress nice. Uh, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's a very, very special day. We, I'm glad that you come on Wednesday nights. We don't really, you know, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. It doesn't really. Uh, it's not a big issue or anything, uh, how people come. I know it's a lot more casual in our church on Wednesday nights than Sunday, but just, just keep in mind Sunday is the house of the Lord. And I think if you dress your boys up and dress your girls up, there's just something about having a dress code that causes people to be more respectful and that causes people to pay attention more. And I think even some of our public schools are beginning to contemplate The idea of maybe going back to a dress code uh, and uh, they just believe that the schools that have dress codes uh, produce students who are more attentive, less in competition with each other over fashion and less jealousy and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a good idea. So I want to encourage you to reverence the house of God and uh, and when it says keep thy foot, it's talking about as you approach The house of God. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And another verse of Scripture says, we need to be careful that we we approach the house of God with reverence. And then it says also when we get there, be more ready to hear than to talk. Uh, When you see that phrase, then to give the sacrifice of fools, as you're going to see in the next verses down through verse 7, he's talking about talking too much. He says, when you go to church, if I could paraphrase this to our day and age, I think Solomon, if he was alive today, would say, look, when you go to church, approach it very respectfully with a great deal of reverence, and when you go, be more ready to listen than to go and start talking. Uh, that's what's called the sacrifice of fools, as we'll see in some scriptures here later. A fool is known by the multitude of words uh, in his mouth, uh, Church is a place to keep silence, especially during the service. I mean, we're all for fellowship afterwards. I think that's one of the main purposes the Lord established the church, according to Acts 2, is so we could go to a place where we could have fellowship with believers in Christ, of like faith. And, uh, but, but there needs to be a time of silence and listening attentively uh, to the Word of God. It says, be more ready to hear. In James 1 and verse 19, it says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We ought to be swift to hear. Uh, What that means, I'm I'm sure you probably remember when before you were saved, and hopefully not now, but before you were saved, if somebody, you know, you could be in a stupor, uh, you could be in a daze, you could be daydreaming out in la-la land, but if you catch somebody say something like this, Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Man, you snap right back into consciousness real fast. Uh, It's just our nature. Yeah, what, 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 do you got some gossip? Well, let me hear it. That's called being swift to hear. All of a sudden, we're real fast to hear. Yeah, yeah, what is it? You know, we like the dirt and the juice and the gossip about somebody. Well, the way we were before we were saved ought to be the way we become towards God's word. Uh, when somebody says, uh, hey, you know what God showed me in the Bible? Man, we ought to be swift to hear. We ought to have the same reaction where we just kind of snap back into consciousness. What is it that God has to say? What is it that the Lord saying? Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Acts 17.11 says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. And so they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind. This noble church in a town called Berea, when people went for their local fellowship, they just they just came with a ready mind to receive the Word of God. So it says, Be reverential as you approach God's house. Be ready to hear. You know, Ask the Lord to speak to you, then to give the sacrifice of fools. Don't just go to... You know, spout off and talk, and we're going to see quite a few verses following this that talk about the mouth, um, and, uh, which is called in verse 1, the sacrifice of fools, somebody who talks too much. For they consider not that they do evil. A person who talks too much is doing evil. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Proverbs 10:19. What it's saying is that man can't control his tongue, and if you're the type of person who talks a lot, eventually you're going to sin. It's a double negative. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. In other words, in the multitude of words, you're going to sin. And it's just just impossible to tame the tongue without the help of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. So people who talk all the time, according to verse 1, are doing evil. We ought not to be talking all the time. Uh, our words need to be well chosen and, and um, uh, just uh, uh, carefully. Um, uh, we need to be very careful with our Look at Verse 2 it goes on to say, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. God is higher than us. His ways are higher than us. Therefore, verse 2, let thy words be few. Is that as clear as can be? I don't know how we can get it any clearer in the Bible. The Bible Bible says our words should be few. So if you're known as a person who talks all the time, um, you need to pray about that matter. That God will help you Talk less, and and talk more wise, and let your words uh, be few. Uh, I've always been uh, kind of mesmerized by the silent types that love the Lord and walk with God. They don't say a lot, but when they do speak, boy, is it—they have something to say. Uh, but people who talk all the time, you just turn them off. Uh, it's just—it's uh, verse one. It's called evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. The word rash means to palpitate, to agitate inwardly, to hasten anxiously. In other words, it's the person that can't even let somebody else finish their sentence. They're hastening anxiously. You know, they're just rash with their mouth. They've got to say something about everything. It says, Be not rash with thy mouth. Don't be that way. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. See, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus taught. And we've got to make sure we don't have a hasty heart. We've got to get our hearts under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, we need the Lord to, to fix our hearts so that we're not hasty to utter anything before God. Now when it says before God, we've got to keep in mind God hears everything we say, every phone call, every conversation, every conversation. Um Jesus said, I think it's Matthew twelve don't quote me, but he said um, about how we'll be judged for every word. Well, that's frightening. Um, I don't know what the statistics are for men, but the average woman speaks 25,000 words a, a day. The Bible says we'll be judged for every one of them. Maybe men more, I don't know. Um, but uh, we don't take that seriously, what God's saying here in his word. And, and we need to just, I'm not saying go home, start giving your husband or the wife the silent treatment or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we've got to understand that God is attending every conversation we have. Every conversation we have, God's attending. He's listening. He's in heaven. He's above us. So, therefore, let thy words be few. Here's an interesting verse, verse 3, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. A dream cometh through the multitude of business. Have you ever asked yourself the question, where do my dreams come from? (laughs) They're pretty funny sometimes when you think about them. Usually our dreams come, are triggered by some sort of a business, some sort of business that we are uh, currently dealing with. I, uh, I was witnessing, I was over at Dick's Sporting Goods store with my New Testament witnessing to Brett Farr the other day uh, in one of my dreams. And um, I was going through the gospel with him, trying to lead him to the Lord. Well, the thing was, is because I had done some studying for a sermon I preached recently about faithful men, and I had been reading up on him a little bit and how he had played 255 consecutive uh, football games, and I was, I was just talking about how they were faithful in sports, and we need to take that spirit into the spiritual realm and be just as faithful with what God's... Many of you heard that sermon, and I mentioned him just briefly, but <laughs> that, see, that's what it says. A dream cometh through the multitude of business. But, you know, oftentimes your dreams are just simply triggered by what you happen to be involved in at the time. So don't put much stock in dreams. Uh, We don't follow dreams today. We follow the Word of God. And uh, there was a time when God revealed things to man through angels and through prophets and through dreams and through visions. But those days are are gone since the completion of the Word of God. So don't follow your dreams. They're funny and they're strange. They... This happened to be about what you're thinking about at the time. It says, A fool's voice is known by multitude of words. There again is strong words against the person who talks all the time. A fool's words. Don't be known as a fool. Verse 4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. The word defer means to loiter or procrastinate. Well, now, vows to vow unto God, do not procrastinate to pay it. If you've made some commitment or something like faith promise missions giving, be sure you give that regularly and faithfully, even if you die doing it. I think it would be pretty wise, and that's just a faith promise commitment. That's not really, I don't think, vows were taken. Uh, To be honest with you, I think the last vow I ever took was September the 15th, 1979, when I vowed to God that I would keep myself faithfully, under my wife so long as we both shall live. I don't believe we ought to vow. I, I, I just, I just, I would not suggest it. You know, people who say things like, I swear to God, blah, 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 they don't understand. We're going to see here in just a minute what, what they have just said. That is not a light thing to say, folks. I would encourage you not to swear to God. Uh, not to vow to God. I knew a, a pastor one time who uh, vowed to God that he would read the Bible every day, a certain amount of the Bible every day of his life. He asked me what I thought about it. And I said, brother, I just uh, I just want to tell you, you'd you better keep that up. You'd better die doing that and not to break it. And he, he told me years later, he said, you know, he says, I noticed a strange phenomenon in my life. He said, whenever I did not read the Bible. My kids would get sick. My wife would get sick. I'd get sick. All kinds of things would start happening to us. And I I told him, I don't think that's a coincidence. I said, you better keep that vow uh, all the days of your life. D.L. Moody vowed to God one time that he would talk to one person every day about his soul. That's wonderful for D.L. Moody. That's wonderful for this pastor. But I want to caution you uh, very, very strongly uh, about vowing to God, because it says, When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. There's a story in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about a church at Corinth that had made a promise to give to missions. And after Paul left Corinth, he started telling everybody in Macedonia about the church in Corinth and what they were going to do for missions. Then it says he went back a year later, and they never did it. And he, he, uh, he got on their case. He said, you need to get to the doing of it, what you said you were going to give. It's better not to say anything um, than to um, say that you're going to do something and not do it. Keep your vows uh, immediately, but it's better not to vow. Notice verse number 5. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Uh, When we get to to the New Testament, Jesus put it this way. I think this is the best way to live. He said, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. All right? That's the way to live, whether it's God or somebody else asks you to do something. The pastor, it's better to say, yes, I'll do it, than to say, I promise. You can count on me. Just, just Lord just said, be simple. Say yes or no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Um, James 5 and verse 12. Now listen to this. It says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not. Neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. I think there's a lot of people on earth today who are living under curse. They don't even know it, but they're living under a curse because they've never kept their vows that they made to God. I'm not talking about you that are married and your mate left you and you had no choice in the matter. You, you did your part. I'm not talking about that. There's a lot of other things where people make commitments to, uh, to God. And uh, they say things rashly. Like, I swear to God, I'm going to, and something like that. They shouldn't even talk like that. Um, it's, you know, God is a God we mentioned Sunday by whom actions are weighed. It'd be better that you just did it. You just did it when God, what God asked you to do than to make a big show out of it because he's going to require uh, what we vow. And it's better that we should not vow than that we should vow and not pay. And building on that, verse 6 says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. So again, we see the mouth getting a person in trouble. And uh, sin is when we vow and we do not pay what we vow. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. In other words, there's no way to get out of it. Don't say before the angel, the messenger, it was an error. I didn't mean it. I made a mistake. Well, you should have considered that before making the vow. Um, the angel is a messenger. That's what the word angel means. Sometimes the word angel is uh, translated in the New Testament into the word minister. Uh, The angel of the churches of Asia is speaking about the pastors, and so I think verse 6 is a good verse. I always share that with people who are going to get married. I said, now don't come back and say, I I didn't mean it. It was an error. I I didn't mean to marry this person. Um, neither say thou before the angel that was an error. And notice it says, Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Now, I know there's not much mentioned about this side of God, but God gets angry sometimes. That's what it says right here. Uh, you see it? Wherefore should God be angry? We, we, we think of him just kind of as a lovey-dovey little Grandfatherly type that goes around patting little kids on the head all the time. You know, God gets angry. It says over in Psalm 7:11, God is angry with the wicked every day. And there's certain things that really make God angry, and one of them is when somebody makes a vow and uh, does not keep that vow. And uh, when somebody says, "Oh, I didn't mean it," I, how can I get out of it? And He says here. Uh don't say it was an error. Verse 7, for in the multitude of dreams, or it says, God will destroy the work of thy hands. Did you ever feel that way? <laughs> you ever feel like God's wrecking everything you're trying to do? You better go back and take inventory about maybe some of the commitments you've made in your life, and you better get back at it. Try to make some restitution. God reigns in the affairs of our lives. And maybe we've forgotten it, but he hasn't. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. So don't depend on your dreams, verse 7, and let your words be few, because if not, your dreams and your words are just a bunch of vanity, but fear thou God. That's the bottom line of this book, Ecclesiastes. We see Solomon trying all kinds of things and evaluating all kinds of things, and he always comes to the bottom line is just fear God. Just fear God. Now, in uh, verse 8, it says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth it, and there be higher than they. Um, We don't see this in America, but you do see this in parts of the world where there's oppression of the poor. There's a violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province. The Lord says, don't marvel at it. I'm going to take care of it. Those, if you ever notice, those forms of government always come to a, an end in a hurry. Uh, somebody rises up against those people. He that is higher than the highest, that God regardeth, and there be higher than they. God's going to take the oppressors out of the way, and he's going to promote others higher than they to take their place. And so um, we, we can see that even in recent history in Cambodia. There's some wonderful mission works going on now, uh, reaching uh, scores of souls for Jesus Christ. But uh, it wasn't that way 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, but, but much of the oppression under Pol Pot, uh, has, uh, uh, he's dead now, and his regime's dead, the Khmer Rouge, and, and there's a lot more liberty and freedom. We personally, our church supports missionaries who are in Cambodia. One called me the other day to uh, see how I was doing, and and uh, Brother Antonio, and and he's, uh, he's over there getting the job done and getting souls saved, and they're starting to open up more freedom uh, of religion and freedom of speech over there. Verse 9, moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Uh, we see here that uh, the value of the earth is for everybody. Uh, even kings need the earth. We ought to love the earth. We, we, we don't. We're not environmentalists in the sense of some of these people who are tied into Eastern mysticism and, and, and other false religions where the, the earth is actually a god to them. But we don't misuse the earth. Why? Because the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We ought not to misuse anything that is, belongs to the Lord. We ought to take care of the earth. We ought not to try and pollute the earth or dump our oil you know, in places we shouldn't and throw our batteries out in the field or whatever. Those are things we should be personally accountable for. We should say the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. We don't believe in Mother Earth, but we do believe in Father God. And uh, uh, the earth is His. And so take care of the little plot God's given you. Don't make a God out of it, but take care of it for the Lord's sake. And, and uh, do what you can to uh, take care of uh, the earth. We're all served by it. Now in verses 10 uh, down through 17, we'll go through these kind of quickly. He contrasts in verses 10 through 17 those who serve money without thought for God versus in verses 18 through 20 those who money serves them as they work with God. Let me say that again. In verses 10 through 17, we see a picture of those who serve money, or maybe we could say those who love money without thought for God contrasted with those in verses 18 through 20 whose money serves them as they work with God. And I certainly hope that we'll all fit into the description of verses 18 through 20 and that when we go through verses 10 through 17 here that that doesn't describe us that are here. I hope nobody here is in love with money. The Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some of the brethren coveted after, they have erred from the faith. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. We ought never to love money. We ought only to allow it to serve us as we do God's work and to serve the Lord. Uh, somebody said this. I wish I'd have wrote down who it was. So I think it's a tremendous quote. I'd like to give them credit. But they said this, Giving is an act of worship for the ultimate recipient is God himself. Giving is an act of worship, for the ultimate recipient is God himself. But God does not get that worship from people who love money. And they're described here in verses 10 through 17, and it's not very pretty. It says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. Now Solomon ought to know. I could never write that because I've never really had a whole lot of money or silver. But Solomon ought to know. He was the richest man on earth. And he says, look, I've tried some things I wish I hadn't. But he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. See, the word loveth is the key there. There's nothing wrong with having silver. It's when you love silver, when you love money, Nor he that loveth abundance, that is, the things of this world. In 1 John 2, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the problem. When people love the world and love money, it's because the love of the Father is not in them. It doesn't doesn't say Christ isn't in them. It doesn't say salvation isn't in them. It just says the love of the Father isn't in them. They might be saved, but they just don't love the Father. People that love the Father don't love the things of this world. Brother uh, Shear, Pastor Shear really taught that well. I thought the men's breakfast last week out of uh, Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that will satisfy me completely. And He contrasted that with so many men who love the world and the things of this world and are covetous. And they're never satisfied. It says they'll not be satisfied. Verse 10. Only the Lord can satisfy us if He is the shepherd of our lives. Not just the Savior, but Brother Shearer brought out, it doesn't say the Lord is my Savior, I shall not want. It says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I'm following the Lord and He satisfies me. Money will never satisfy us, so don't go down that road. Verse 11. Verse 11. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Man, alive! Before um, President Reagan took office, the the ceiling, the tax ceiling on the rich was seventy percent. That's immoral. Uh, the way they used to punish accomplishment. And and folks, don't envy the rich. But, but keep in mind, most rich people are there because of accomplishment. All right, 80% of your millionaires in this country earned it from the ground up. We look at them sometimes with envy and think they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. No, they weren't. Most of them earned it by hard work, and that should be rewarded. It shouldn't be taxed by 70% of their income going to the federal government. When President Reagan came along, he got the tax ceiling down on the rich to 28%, I believe, and then President Clinton raised it back up to 39.6%. That was the highest tax cre- increase ever in, in American history under Clinton. And then since then, I believe it's come back down. I don't know. I don't have a lot of money, so it hasn't affected me much. Uh, but uh, that's immoral. The Bible teaches a flat tax. It's called the tithe. Everybody on God's green earth ought to pay the same amount, whether rich or poor. Uh, Whatever that amount is fixed by the government is what they ought to pay. It's immoral uh, to take money from the rich and and give it to the poor. It's immoral. Uh, There's nothing wrong with helping the poor. The Bible says one of the faults of Sodom is that they did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. There is a time when we have to get underneath the poor and help them and strengthen them. I know there's exceptions disabled people, so on and so forth, where they're completely at the mercy of family members, churches they belong to, and the government. And and I'm all for helping disabled people. Uh, That's certainly understandable. But there are some people and, and you know you know this and I think we're getting away with it, but away from it, but you can remember a time in America where a whole lot of welfare recipients were just lazy people. And it was immoral. It was immoral to give to them. But anyways, getting back to the text. The Bible says if a man doesn't eat work, neither should he eat. Now it might sound unchristian to you, but how can it be unchristian and be in the Bible? Let them starve to death, they'll work. They'll find something to do. Um, God has some tough love, I'll tell you, but it works. But it's immoral. There ought to be a flat tax. That's what God proposed in the tithe. Everybody ought to give a flat tax. That's what the tithe is, a flat tax to keep God's work going so we can help missionaries and so on and so forth and, and keep the local churches going. It's the same thing with the government. It should be the same way. But if you ever do strike it rich, there's a warning here in verse 11. When goods increase, they are increased, they eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, save in the beholding of them with their eyes? Uh, This is one of the difficulties rich people have, is they they never really know who their friends are. Uh, All of a sudden, they just attract all kinds of quote-unquote friends, and even all kinds of charities, and churches start hitting on these people, and, and uh, uh, when goods increase, they are increased. that eat them. All of a sudden, all kinds of people come out of the woodwork, and they're buddy buddies. What good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? I mean, what? what I mean, okay, so you got ten nice cars. What good is that? Wow, I got ten nice cars. Look at them. You know, you can only drive one at a time. It's like everybody else. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Here's again something you and I, most of us don't know anything about, but if you know anything about the rich, a lot of them lose their sleep worrying about their money and their investments. Um, But the sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eat little or much. I mean, even if the guy's hungry, he can go to bed and sleep well. If he's a laboring man, if he's a working man, working men sleep well. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the Son, and there is nothing in his hand. Man, here's a great truth, I hope all of you get. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. This text right here in verses um, 13 and uh, 14, and I'll probably close with these. We won't get through the whole chapter, I don't think. These verses parallel what Malachi taught about people who robbed God of the tithe. Robbing God of the tithe is keeping riches to your own hurt. The tithe is God's divine flat tax, something God told us to do, give tithes and offerings. I'm amazed at how many people like to live their lives by what God didn't say rather than by what He did say. They're everywhere. You hear them all the time. Where would God say it's wrong to drink Budweiser? Show me. So they they tr- they live their lives by what God didn't say, rather than by what He did say. And he said, "Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise." I'd rather live by what God did say. And some people got this idea tithing disappeared somewhere, and uh, they try to come up with some notion. Well, well, He didn't say that or something. But what did He say? What did He say? And uh, I still see tithing in the New Testament, Matthew 23, 23, 1 Corinthians sixteen, one and two, Hebrews chapter seven mentions tithing, paying tithes as a tax, not giving them, but paying them. The Bible says, but and I believe the same thing is being taught here. This might not be talking about tithing, but it's the same principle. If you don't like tithing, then at least at least believe this principle right here. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owner. For the owners, thereof they're up to their hurt. You're gonna get hurt keeping all your money. Give it away. And if you don't like our church, give it to some other church uh, or charity or something. But become a giving person. Notice what's going to happen if you don't. Verse 14, but those riches perish by evil travail. That phrase, evil travail, write this in the margin of your Bible next to that. It means misfortune. Have you ever noticed that people who don't give have all kinds of misfortunes, and they can never explain it? They've got all kinds of things that always go wrong with them, and they can never explain it. Their cars are always breaking down. They're always going to the hospital. They're always getting sick. The house is always blowing up and the appliances are blowing up and everything, and they, they can't figure it out when well, it's all right in the Bible. But those riches perish. That money they refuse to give to God ends up perishing by evil travail. And he begets a son, he ends up with a boy, and he's supposed to leave an inheritance to him, and by the time it's all over he has nothing in his hand. You're better off living with 90% of your income and God's blessing on your life than 100% of your income and God's curse. God rules and reigns in the affairs of our lives and in our finances. I wouldn't quit tithing if you gave me a million dollars. I've seen so much of the blessing of God that way and giving offerings. The offerings my wife and I give are higher than the tithe in our percentage. No, I'm not rich, but that's not my intentions. I want to die with a count balance of zero dollars and zero cents. Having every bill paid and as many missionaries as I can supported and do as much as I can for God. That's how I want to live. Of course, leave an inheritance to your children, your children's children. That's you want to do that too, but... But brethren, some of you aren't tithing. I don't know who. I don't see the tithe records around here. I don't count the money. I can't deposit the money. I can't even sign a check in this church. And that's the way it's been since day one, 22 years ago. I know back in 1978, God got a hold of my heart and said, Art, I'll tell you why you're in the financial mess you're in and why nothing works out for you financially. It's because you're not honoring me with the tithes and the offerings. And so I did what I've done so many times in my life. I finally surrendered and said, God, you win. I'm tired of getting beaten up. I'm going to do it your way. The Lord says, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I'll not open up the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing. And that's what verses 18 through 20 are about. We won't get to them, but it's just about a blessing. We might just end the chapter here, but I think you'll go on. It says, uh, verse 15, He came forth from his mother's womb, naked shall he return, to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? Not a pretty picture, is it? Some guy working his whole life, and then whoosh, the wind just blows it away. You know, I'm going to die with as much money as Howard Hughes died with. Not. But the difference is, I and many of you have laid up a whole lot of treasures in heaven where Jesus said, neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves cannot break through and steal. I don't think Howard Hughes did that. I may end up with more than him forever. The wind got a hold of his. The wind. Don't work for the wind, brethren. Give what you can to God. All his days that he eateth in darkness, and he hath sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Look at that. The guy, here's the person living for money. They're, they're holding their money so tight the green ink is just stained their hands, and they're not going to give to God. They're not going to give to the church. But what do they end up with? Sorrow, wrath, sickness. The wind blowing away everything evil travail that causes their money to perish, verse 14, which means misfortune, and verses 18 through 20. What a blessing. Read them sometime, and I hope you'll be an 18 through 20 verses type of a Christian. If you're not tithing, start. Start. And if you think, you know, I'm some schemer to try to get money out, let me tell you something. Frank's here tonight. The offerings in this church are the best they've ever been in our history. Right now. I didn't say these things because we're down or it's not going good or anything like this. I I want the blessing of God on you and on your wife and on your children and on your possessions and so on and so forth. I really do. And, uh, you know, I've said this before. If anyone thinks I'm so twisted that I'm just trying to get a pay raise or something like that, give your money to another church. But live under God's blessings. And, And you men... You're the head of your house. If your wife tells you don't tithe, don't listen to your wife. Don't listen to her. Put a plug in it. Say, we're going to do right. This is my house. I'm going to give an account. I want the blessing of God on your life. I've never apologized for preaching on tithing. Never will, so no sense talking to me. I'm just incurable when it comes to this teaching because I've seen it bless me and bless so many people. And uh, so, I want to encourage you to tithe, and let Ecclesiastes 5 affect your heart tonight. Our Father, thank you for your word, and we just pray that you'd bless. Lord, you know my heart, that I cry after I say things like this sometimes at night. I don't want to hurt people. I want to help them. I don't know why they don't see that. Lord, I just pray for them. Lord, we, we thank you for the good offerings we're having. More money, probably, for missions than ever before, and and, um, Lord, but, but, but there's so much to do, Lord. There's more to print. There's more missionaries to support. We keep turning them away every week. We could maybe rent another bus soon. And these things result in souls being saved, Lord. And our Father, I pray that Thy Holy Spirit might work mightily in the, the, the proudest, stubbornness, most of the heart tonight might be broken about this matter, and uh, might just ponder Ecclesiastes 5 until it becomes part of their heart and soul. And now, Lord, bless the rest of our evening together, and guide us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, amen.